offensive rebound on the right block by Alyssa Brown. Whoa. Give that pass down low to Desi Ray Young on the left block, and the lamp is good. The feed from Essence Booker from the free throw line. Kind of a nice little ring around the Rosie there. <laughs> the crowd will get on their feet here at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. For the second straight year, the UNLV Lady Rebels are Mountain West regular season champions, and they will have the number one seed for next month's Mountain West Conference Tournament. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, back here, Silver 7's Flamingo and Paradise. 77 cent beers tonight once the puck drops for the Vegas Golden Knights. You want to hear some hockey preview, the pregame show with RTHG? Flip over to Fox Sports Las Vegas now, 1340 and 98.9 FM. We got a lot of uh, basketball and football coming at you in the next 60 minutes here at ESPN Las Vegas. Angel is helping out down here at Silver 7s. Ari is back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Lady Rebels highlight on the way in. Wyatt Tomchek on the mic there. And uh, he has been at the mic for all of these games during an amazing season, in conference, unbeaten. Regular season could be pushing towards 30 wins if the perfection continues. Ray Brewers watched a lot of women's and men's basketball for the Rebels over the years. He's a high school sports expert at the Las Vegas Sun. He gives us a couple minutes here on this Thursday. Ray, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Steve. How are you? Thank you for having me, my friend. Yes, we have a lot to get into. We have a lot to get into. First of all, uh, give me your impression of what the Lady Rebels have done this year because I'll, I'll tell people it hasn't been easy. The, the results have been really impressive, but they actually have had a lot of close games They've had to win close ones. Yeah, and I, I think two things stand out for me. One is, obviously, I'm a champion of uh, local athletes born and raised here. And the fact that Lindy LaRock's team, uh, three of their top four players are uh, Southern Nevadans with you know Desi Young and Essence Booker and Justice Etheridge, uh, that, that really is, is impactful for me. And then, of course, Coach LaRock, a Durango graduate, and I, I, I see, like you, the close games, but I love how they pull them out. And they're, they're just so uh, determined and gritty. And they've won, you know, I can't even remember the last time they lost. And I want them to go undefeated in Mountain West play and, and get to the tournament and try to win a game. And I think playing in those close games may help them when they get to an NCAA regional uh, could be uh, could be a, a great win for the program. Yeah, the women play tonight, six thirty against Utah State, trying to continue the winning ways. I think. Well, I want to talk about the local recruiting here in a second, but I, I think the key to them winning a lot of close games is one, they're they're good. Uh, two, they're actually a very even keeled group. If you watch them, Desiree Young gets emotional, right? But beyond that, um, and it's a lot of the young players uh, who are very even keeled, so they don't freak out in close games. And I think a lot of that comes from the coach because if you watch Lindy LaRock coach the game, she'll get up and, you know, she'll get loud every once in a while. But for the most part, she's not freaking out on the sidelines. And I think that actually plays on to the players on the floor. They don't freak out. Yeah, I was, I was you know, kind of stole my thunder there. But they're, they're very well coached. I think they're in the right positions when they need to be. And, and they have that, 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 that even kill throughout the entire game where they don't get too high, they don't get too low. And, you know, that's a direct result of their coach. You remember, you know, she went to four Final Fours with Stanford as a player, um, has had some big game clutch moments, and that's really carried over her, her coaching. And I think the players have kind of taken on that mentality of, of just being calm and organized and in the right spot. But 
for for a program like UNLV that is a, a solid major program but hasn't won a tournament game in forever, to to get a coach like Lindy or LaRock, she's out xing and owing the other coaches on a in the Mountain West. I, I feel on a on a given night, and that's a, a distinct advantage. I'm not going to steer your thunder. That was good advice. Uh, my question is going to be short from here because you're the expert, and I'm not saying this sarcastically. So I wanted to ask you on recruiting. You mentioned the elite players are building around who are local. The last couple of years, they've actually gone out of the market to get their players. Have they missed out on really high-level players the last couple of years, uh, female basketball players? Well, so you're always, Steve, you're always going to have a handful of players that that are top 25 nationally, right? And they're going to find their way out of Las Vegas. And, and that's, that's in every sport. Um, no, no matter what you do, you're, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to keep the the Tate Martell's here, right? Um, just because he's the Gatorade Player of the Year, he's going to go to Ohio State. So, yeah, uh, UNLV basketball is lost out. There was the Gatorade Player of the Year who ended up uh, going to USC from Spring Valley. Um, Centennial, nationally ranked, uh, you know, top 25. They're always going to have players. They've got one player who committed to Arizona, another one to TCU. Um, and, you know, but... There's enough solid players that aren't at those top schools that have a, a high ceiling, like Desi Young, who whose only offer basically was when she got recruited by the previous staff, and look how she's developed and flourished. And there's those types of diamonds at every school, which is why I love when Coach Odom, the new football coach, goes and visits every high school in town as part of recruiting. We didn't have that with the previous staff. And there's players there that could play at the next level that just need a chance that maybe aren't showcased on Friday nights because their team's not one of the top five teams in the league. But you find a few dimes of the rough, you kind of develop them a little bit. And uh, I, I think this is just a, a, a growing area each year. Plenty of, of, of good local players to come into Vegas and to kind of supplement what you get from out of the market. So I noticed your tweet the other day, and you said uh... – there's plenty of homegrown talent for the men's side. I think it's a little trickier. And I actually spoke to Kevin Kruger about what you said today on the record, so I'm going to put that audio out tomorrow. And it was nothing like, screw Ray. But we had a, yeah. we had a, a discussion because he obviously can't mention names. But I'll go back to last year, and I want your take on you know why these guys didn't land at UNLV. Uh, could UNLV have used them? And maybe they land back here again on the bounce back. Um, Darian Williams has turned out to be a really good player. Uh, at Nevada, are you surprised by how good he is? Well, uh, no. I thought he was a really good player at Gorman. His problem is that he was kind of uh, he was a tweener, and they didn't know if his outside shot would hold up. And Reno took a feeler on him, and the kid was an absolute stud last year for Gorman, and he's been a bigger stud for Reno. And uh, I think that was that was something that UNLV. Probably missed on a really good player there. What about Taviante John, uh, Jackson at CSU? So th- there's another kid who really got hurt by COVID. Um, wasn't playing for one of the Cadillac AAU teams throughout town. Las Vegas highs in the 4A. He didn't get you know he didn't get to play as a junior, so we missed that that high school season and all the AAU stuff because he wasn't playing on the on the circuit, if you will. And then everybody knew that he was good, and he basically had a chance to prove it. But you're looking at a kid that is like 
five foot eleven, really undersized, wasn't playing against great competition. Um, and at the end of his season, CSU came in, a few other schools came in, and UNLV just kind of passed on him. And and that's kind of a, you know, he he, he would be your third point guard basically. Uh, and and I don't know if they missed on him. Okay. Josh Jefferson at St. Mary's, not playing a whole lot. He's played in 28 of the 29 games. Um, you know, versatile guy at 6'8", and I don't know, they say he weighs 220. I think he's a little bigger, but he's only playing seven minutes per night. Is that a guy they should have landed? Uh, dad and brother played at UNLV football, um, and I know they recruited him, and they were down to the buzzer uh, on him, and he ultimately went to St. Mary's. Um, could be a bounce-back candidate. He, like you said, he's not getting much run there, but when he does – He's hit a few big shots. Um, probably won't be in the rotation uh, when they when they squeeze it up here in the next week for the postseason. So we're talking a little high school basketball recruiting. Ray Brewer's with us. He's the uh, dean of covering the high schools in the valley and uh, went to UNLV and writes about UNLV. And um, you know the, the concern is, hey, get more local recruits. Uh, Ray believes, hey, there's a lot of good local talent here. You got to land some of it. Let's go to the top of the heap. Um, between uh, Mila Suzanne and also Pop Pop Isaacs. Uh, Suzanne is at Oklahoma playing 28 minutes per night. Pop Pop is at Tech for now. He's averaging 12 a game. He's played in 21 games. Yeah, I think everybody assumes Pop is going to leave. Um, the kid did play three high schools in four years, and I know uh, UNLV was in on him, and they liked him, and they were interested in him uh, when he ultimately ended up going to Texas Tech. Uh, Milo's using, you know, local kid. Dad was a local as well. Uh, Dad's a high school coach. Great family. Um, had a, they were in on him as well, but he ended up, uh, COVID kind of shut his career down. He ended up going to a prep school um, out of town and, and ended up blown up to where a school like Oklahoma would come in and have interest. Um, you know, you got when you, when you recruit a local kid, you know, you got to find somebody that that is all in on on representing UNLV and, and kind of who grew up in UNLV. I think oftentimes there's that perception that you may be settling uh, to come to UNLV and play. When Steve, you know, you're around the university a lot, and I and I love UNLV and I grew up there. You know, getting to play for the Rebels is a privilege. To be the point guard for UNLV basketball, right? You, you look at some of the great point guards that came through that were locals, right? Yeah. You're, you're talking Greg Anthony, Rancho High School, Danny Tarkanian, Bishop Gorman High School. You know, you even got um, Anthony Marshall, Mojave High School. Um, and you can't forget about Freddie Banks from, from Valley. Those are all guys that had great opportunities to go other places but wanted to come to Las Vegas and kind of set their mark and you know, as Tony Sanchez, the former football coach, used to say, kind of fight for your hometown. Those players are out there. You just have to find the person that is okay with not going away for college. A lot of kids, no matter, you know, we, we could have Ohio State here, Steve, and there's still going to be kids that want to leave home to get away for college. Right, uh, with us. Keep going, right? Well, I mean, spending the night on Maryland Parkway just doesn't cut it, you know? you They want to be... <laughs> They want a 200-mile buffer zone for mom and dad, not a 12-mile buffer zone. Okay, this year's group, and then we'll get to technically the 2024s here in a second. We're talking about local high school recruiting. Um, You know, if UNLV can land some of these guys, a lot of fans out there are like, hey, you know, you can really build 
uh, in Vegas and put the fence around Vegas. I know Sebastian Mack is committed to UCLA. Beyond that, are there some guys who are available who you believe in the 23 class that UNLV should be making a run at and could contribute at some point at UNLV? So for uh, not, not, not that jumps off the page for 23, um, but there's 224 players that they have offers to that I really think would, would change the face of the program. Start with DJ it, Thomas? Of course, who is a generational player whose dad was a point guard, was Tark's last point guard, and who on Saturday night will probably be a, a two-time Nevada State champion. He's beat Gorman uh, his last two tries. Um, he doesn't have the, nearly the roster around him of some of the other players. Great passer, great shooter, very competitive. Top 30 kid nationally, really likes UNLV. The family really likes UNLV. He's got a great chance to come uh, to, to stay at home, follows dad's footsteps, and he would change the face of the program almost in, initially. When they got Zayon Collins, who never ended up making it to UNLV, everybody was saying that about Zayon and more true point guard ability to pass. If you look at the, at, the, at the stats just this year for the team, they are lacking somebody that could distribute the ball. Um, it's, the, the guard play um, hasn't been great in this kind of downfall. D.J. Thomas immediately solves that problem, immediately makes UNLV better. The other player that, that I'm really high on, who I watched play on uh, last week, uh, uh, a player from Durango, Taj Duggerville, um, he's got offers from San Diego State, Harvard, UNLV. He's a, a solid three, four-star kid. He's a, 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 a wing player, very smart with the ball, um, big-bodied. Um, gonna get they'll be able to get some muscle put on him, and I think that would be a tremendous get for UNLV. I think those would be two kids that would change the face of the program. But if somehow Kevin Kruger got DJ Thomas. That would be a gigantic score. Steve, every time I go to a Liberty game the last two years, not only has Kevin Kruger been there front row, his assistants have been there. And when the game's over, Kevin is the last person to live to leave with Deedon Sr., Deedon's DJ's dad. And this is as hard as they've ever recruited a player. And I'm telling you, that kid is – UNLV is in the mix and they could be the favorite. And if he stays at home, I think we're talking a complete flip almost immediately. Is he a candidate to reclassify? That's what they say. Um, depends on who you talk to. Um, I know that he, he, he will be eligible to get through high school in time to reclassify. And if he wins state again, UNLV needs a point guard next year. And he's he would be an ideal fit. He is uh, he would be a tremendous fit. Absolutely. By the way, on the high school front, how big a deal was it that uh, Durango beat Gorman? What, what, what was even more impressive, Steve, is that Durango's doing this basically with a rotation of six players. Um, two weeks ago, their head coach Chad Beaton, you know, one of the head coaches in town, got in a disagreement with administration, ended up having to quit. Few of his assistants went with him. Two coaches are coaching the team, and you watch this team play with six players. The kids are essentially helping to coach themselves. 
Uh, Mike Lee's been doing a phenomenal job getting them mentally prepared to play. But to go and beat Gorman and then two days later to beat Liberty on the road, and both schools have hostile student sections that, that are loud and borderline, you need to get a technical the whole game was just phenomenal. And that Taj Duggerville kid, he was he was leading the charge for Durango, one of their, their top two players. And just a, a, you talk about, like, why we love high school sports. It's because we think Gorman's going to win every game. And then we thought Liberty was going to win. They're the defending champs. And at Durango, a, kid that, a team that plays six kids that haven't been to the state tournament since Lindy LaRock's dad was their coach in the 1990s, now, all of a sudden, they're the one seed. Do you think uh, Durango's Tylen Riley actually undersold himself a little bit? Could he, could he play in the Mountain West? I know he's committed to Cal Baptist. So that kid, first of all, Steve, an impressive young man to talk to, uh, very well thought out, extremely smart. Even sometimes during the game, you feel that he's, he's coaching the team. Went over to the scores table to find out <laughs> who on his team had how many fouls? Oh yeah! Because at the end of the game, they were going to foul DJ Thomas, so he couldn't shoot a three to send him to the line to shoot two three free throws. Oh, wow. So the kid is—I mean, just off the charts IQ. When I talked to him about Cal Baptist, he kind of said, "Listen, you should turn one of their games on on TV. Yeah. They sell that whole place out, and it's rowdy, and they love the basketball program." He bought into the vision and. I'm going to be interested to follow that kid through the next four years to see if, if Cal Baptist doesn't kind of become kind of a, a power in that league. Yeah, I got to watch Cal Baptist up close at that uh, UNLV tournament in Southern California when they wound up playing Southern Illinois and uh, Minnesota. It was a good program. They had some good players. Let's close on uh, one weird note that came out today. I don't know if you found any, out anything about it, but you cover high school football. Um, David Washington, who was at Arborview, um, and he's, I guess, he's got to be a top five guy in the 2024 class in Vegas, right? I mean, a high level receiver. I think he just got an offer from Notre Dame. He tweeted out today that he's done at the school, then started mentioning something about bullying and mental health, and then tagged a bunch of different media outlets. Yeah, I, I found that interesting as well. Um, I, I don't have any inside information as to what happened. Um, I will tell you that Washington, according to 24 7 Sports, is the number one recruit for the class of 24 in town. Um, you know, you get offered by Notre Dame. They're only offering a select few kids. Uh, he, he's the real deal. And I will also tell you, though, the Arbor View program is, is the real deal. Matt Gerber, one of the great guys in our city, and um, I'd, I'd be interested to kind of get his response to what happened because uh, some of the things that the young man put out on Twitter were – were, were awful, and, um, and, 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 and and we need to know more of the story before we can make assumptions. Check out the Las Vegas Sun. Check out the sports department. They are really committed, especially to covering uh, UNLV, the men and the women, and the football program. You know I'm a big fan of Mike Ramala. Uh, Mike does a really good job on the beat, and, uh, you know, Ray's the boss over there, so it's all under uh, Ray's tutelage. Ray, we got to get you. You know what? I, I forgot how much fun it is to have you on and have you face-to-face. COVID kind of shut all that down. We have to get you in studio or on the road somewhere for like an hour so we can really go at it. Love it. I love it, man. Thank you so much for your audience, and I hope you have a great day, man. You too, Ray. There he is. Ray Brewer at RayBrewer21 up on Twitter. Listen, there are folks out there who wanted you know more. Well, I'm not going to say they wanted more talk. I, I see the talk on Twitter and social media about UNLV basketball, the men's side. 
doing a, you know a better job to haul in more of the local recruits. So we broke it all the, all down for you, and they've got. Uh, Duggerville and certainly uh, DJ Thomas are two big targets, and if they could land those guys, and especially in the case of Thomas, he reclassifies, it's kind of gets you going back in the right direction. And Ray nailed it there. You know what, I'll, I'll talk about the point guard position and you know what, what an issue it has been, and it's not to denigrate the guys who played point guard over the years, but it has been one of those positions consistently the top targets that they've gone after just have not landed here in Vegas or stayed in Vegas. Join Cofield and Company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. On TV and stuff, you see him like from college and stuff, you like, okay, he look in shape on TV. But you see him in person, it's like weird. He like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, he might be out of shape. <laughs> but the crazy thing, he athletic. But he athletic. He a good player, but like, really, when I seen him, I'm like, dang, I ain't nothing know he was built like that. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Easy, fellas. Some of us are bad body people. All right. Doesn't mean we're not athletic. We're just bad body people. Talking about Russell Wilson there. Uh, let's do a giveaway right now. 364-1100-364-1100. Caller number seven. We were just talking to Ray Brewer about players uh, UNLV would like to bring into the Mountain West Conference, players that uh, UNLV uh, did not land or recruit in certain cases who were in the Mountain West, like Darian Williams at Reno and also uh, – Tavi Jackson, who's at Colorado State. We've got the Mountain West Conference Tournament in town. Caller 7364-1100 is a number. You can get your tickets at unlvtickets.com. It's March 5th to the 11th. Ari's got a pair right now to one of the sessions of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Uh, loaded at the top of the conference with San Diego State and Boise State and Utah State and Nevada trying to all get bids to the NCAA Tournament. Schools that have had Great moments this year, like UNLV and New Mexico, certainly can make a run. They'd like to steal the auto bid, and you can watch all of it at the Thomas and Mac right here in Vegas, March 5th to the 10th. That includes the women's bracket, where tickets start as low as 25 bucks. You can buy all of the women's games, actually. They, all sessions for 75 The men start at 25 364 1100 Caller number 7. We've got NIT tickets coming up in about... 20 minutes. We're going to talk a little uh, Bay Area sports and tie it together with the A's. Interest in Vegas in just a couple as we're live here at Silver Sevens. Got uh, hockey going down in just a little bit. Six o'clock start with Calgary in town against your Vegas Golden Knights. And this is a great place to play and drink and eat. The drinks are cheap tonight. Hockey games, well, Vegas Golden Knight hockey games, 77 cent beers, Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. So get on down here. It's Flamingo in Paradise. It's Silver Sevens. It's Cofield and Company. Rolls on. Sign up for an A-Play card and receive a guaranteed $10 in free play with a chance to win up to $150 in free play at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. All right, rolling on a Thursday. Silver Sevens is the site. You know, we've done a little bit of talk on the A's and a potential move to Vegas, but I still believe that we're a negotiating pawn in the whole deal. And I'm also pretty sure no one in the Bay Area cares either way. So I wanted to bring on Mark Willard, who does radio in the Bay Area, 
on 95.7 The Game and get his vibe on a couple of uh, Bay Area topics, including the Warriors and the Niners and the Giants. Mark, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Brian. I'm doing good. How are you? You're, you're, it's not that no one cares. No one really talks about it, though. I mean, doing what we do in our business, if you talk about the A's, you lose your job. So there are fans, but, uh, but yeah, it's pretty quiet, man. So with that all said, in the end, why would they build this, this mega project and put a billion dollars towards a baseball stadium? It, is it viable moving forward? You know, I mean, new, new buildings always uh, seem to work out in the beginning. Uh, is it viable long term? I mean, the A's do have or had years ago um, a fan base, um, a fan base that could actually, you know, carry a, a stadium to a, a degree. I don't think it's like that anymore for a number of reasons, society, baseball, post-COVID economy, um, but also just this ownership group. I mean, it is, it's turned off the fans that they do have at such a high level um, that it's going to be real challenging for them to, uh, to do anything viable, which is why this one is one of the more fascinating, like, relocation leverage plays that I've seen in sports before because I think what you said a minute ago is right. I do think Vegas is, is kind of being used as a pawn here. But on the other side, it, like, what is needed in Oakland is there's not enough juice there's not enough money. There's not enough desire to really make it happen. So what you have is an owner who's kind of playing a game against two sides, and I don't know if either one of them actually exists. Yep. Steve Cofield, Cofield and Company, Mark Willard, 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area is with us. And, you know, the weird thing on our side, and, and I don't rep everyone, but I keep, I keep telling the audience here, um, and they know this. In Vegas, you do have to win. Like, the novelty wears off in a couple of years. And if the A's come and they're like, hey, we're a new team, you know, we don't have to compete. We're just going to make money. Like, that ain't going to work beyond three years. And they may get lucky and they may find a business partner to invest in a stadium. But, like, if you move to Vegas, you got to freaking win. Like, there's so much competition here for the entertainment dollar. So I think it's just such a weird scenario with a team going back and forth between two cities. And I'm not sure that either one is real geeked up to have them. Well, I don't know why anybody would be geeked up to have a team owned by John Fisher. In my opinion, this is the worst owner in all of sports. And, wow. and I say that knowing that I'm covering a whole lot of bases, but this is somebody who, um, who has now continually, think about it, for a number of years, uh, the A's have had uh, some successful products. They've done a good job through the years of cultivating talent out of the farm. But repeatedly, every time it's time to pay someone, they're gone. Therefore, it's not sustainable. He has gone so far to disenfranchise fans. I mean, there are, I mean, at this point, it's, it's not much more than rumor or guessing, but there are plenty of people who have the opinion that he's actually gone out of his way to upset agents. So, in other words, when you do come to the game, are they setting things up on the freeway exits so that the traffic patterns make it more difficult to get because he wants an empty building so that he can use that in these negotiations? It's gone that far. So I don't know why anybody, you know, why would anybody not at a certain point as a fan get exhausted? Yeah. You know what's funny about baseball? 
is I think there's probably like 18 to 20 ownership groups. If they knew that Fisher was doing that, they'd be like, that's okay. You know, we hate Steve Cohen, and we don't like the Giants either because they built their own stadium with their own money. Like, it's such a weird sport. Yeah. Oh, and actually, you're right, and I would take that to a degree uh, to, to some other sports as well. I mean, don't you think NFL owners right now, what are they most mad about? No matter what the Browns gave Deshaun Watson. Yep. Because it directly led to, for instance, the Lamar Jackson situation. Um, you know, they're not mad about uh, penny pinching. They're, they're mad when somebody spends too much and shows them up. Mark Willard's with us. So uh, one more question about baseball, because I know you guys are into the Giants. Um, the over-under here is only 81.5 wins. It feels like they had a, a really weird, kind of disjointed, and and maybe they didn't go in the right direction in their offseason. They made... These runs at you know two and three hundred and three hundred fifty million dollar contract guys, they didn't get any of them. Why didn't they go and spend some of that money on the middle class guys that they could have got for a little cheaper? Well, I think that their response is that that in the end they did. You know, like getting Mitch Haniger and and Michael Conforto and uh, and even some of the pitchers they got, Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling. They're not big names, but Haniger and Conforto when they're healthy are 30 home run guys and at least 25. And, and so I think, you know, there, there's always that, that hope that, that if those guys have healthy seasons, uh, they'll produce at a, at, a, at a very high clip. I mean, their payroll is absolutely in the top ten. Uh, I think they were number four in all of baseball in the offseason in terms of added war. And I know stuff like that doesn't excite people. It makes people roll their eyes. But baseball front offices – they run on that stuff. So I'm with you that I think that the over-under is low. I think the Giants are a winning team. I don't have much doubt about that, to be honest with you. But there's this negative sort of hangover about them because the offseason could have been so much more. It was promised to be so much more. And so you kind of walk out of there feeling like, uh, you know, what, 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 what could have or what should have been I didn't end up coming to be. That was a good answer, though. They did. They absolutely did cash in to a certain extent. And like you uh, just suggested, I do like the over 81 and a half because I think the Dodgers, not that they're coming back to the pack, but they're not going to win 110-plus games. And until the Dodgers can go out and buy more horses for the rotation, maybe at the break, um, they're going to be good. But they're going with a lot of young guys now. And, you know, not having Trevor Bauer, I know they didn't want him, but, you know, that, that's a big loss. Their, their staff will be good, but it won't be as good as it was. Well, and, and the other thing is we move into the unbalanced schedule. So the Giants are not playing the Dodgers 19 times and the Padres 19 times anyway. So, yeah, you still got to compete with them in the division, but we also know that three teams from the division can go to the playoffs. So you look at both leagues, and each of them have at least four or five teams that aren't even trying, and seven teams go to the playoffs. So you, it's kind of like, you know, seven out of 10 or 11 teams are – are going to get in. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't love the Giants' chances to win the division, but I do think they will compete for a wild card. What's the vibe around the Warriors right now? i tell you what, it's almost funny. We were talking today about how uh, it seems the national perspective in some ways is more positive than the local, and it's usually the other way around with sports teams. But the vibe around the Warriors is, man, it, it, there, there must be a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know. And maybe just the egos and the fishbowl nature of everything that has been over the last 11 years 
uh, has come to an end. I know the team doesn't feel that way. They feel like if left with health, they can still put something together in this middling Western Conference and and uh, and have a shot. And, and I think that that's definitely on the table. There's just so much working against them. Their general manager, Bob Myers, who has been loved, is unsigned. So that bothers people like Steve Kerr and Steph Curry, for sure. Steph's not healthy. Andrew Wiggins is dealing with family issues and is away from the team. They don't play defense like they, they used to and, and can't seem to figure out why. Uh, or maybe they got old overnight. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, they, so there's just there's a lot of differing opinions, contractual situations that I think have feelings kind of turned up a, a little bit high. And so we're going into a 24-game stretch where, man, they could put it together and go on a playoff run or they could limp to the end of a dynasty and do their own version of the last dance. Um, that's, that's all possible in these next six weeks. You know, Sports Radio with the Bay Area 95.7 The Game. Mark Willard is with Cofield and company. How much are you guys talking about Aaron Rodgers being an option for the Niners? And I'm sure you discussed the, uh, the dark retreat and him exiting the Oregon facility today. Yeah, we, we discuss it, but to be honest with you, the 49er fans right now are not much in to the idea of any quarterback that would be a long-term commitment because that would signal essentially the end of both Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. And that feels wrong at this time. Like, certainly got to wait until next week and see what the further news is on Brock Purdy's injury. Um, but he certainly did enough to be the presumptive starter at the start of next year. And then if not, um, people haven't given up on Trey Lance yet, who's only started four games. So I know there are all kinds of questions about two young players, but I think 49er fans love the roster so much, they're really into the idea of the financial advantage that the 49ers would have if they can get productivity out of either of those two young quarterbacks because especially Purdy. I mean, he's making peanuts. And so if you can get him to play well, that allows for McCaffrey's and Bebo's and maybe a re-signing of Brandon Ayuk and keeping that really, really effective group together. What if you go through the next two years, uh, Lance and Purdy aren't really what we thought they would be, the Niners don't win a championship, they don't win a Super Bowl, and then you go over a five-year period where you could have had Brady and maybe Rodgers? What does that say? I mean, it will. There will be some egg on the face <laughs> yes, of yes. the regime for sure. Because yes. if there's one, you know, like a fan base always criticizes the coaching staff for all kinds of reasons when, when, when you don't get over the top. But the number one thing that I think is fair in looking at Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and the group is the handling of the quarterback position. That is not only passing on Brady, and if they do pass on people this off season again, but. Um, you know, was Garoppolo the right pick over Kirk Cousins or someone else? And then even when you got productivity out of Garoppolo, you moved on and, and moved heaven and earth to get Trey Lance, who right now maybe they don't even like as well as some guy they got in the seventh round last year. So um, they've definitely made some big swings at the quarterback position. They've also passed on some big names, and so far um, – you know, they've not hit a home run. And so that you're, you're right. If it goes a couple more years and they don't get the, the trophy, uh, that's going to be the thing people point to. Am I just selfish in wishing that the Raiders here in Vegas get Aaron Rodgers because I want to cover it? 
Uh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, gosh, again, for people who do what we do, Rogers is great business. Um, I think it would also bring a national vibe to watching Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams play back together. Uh, that would be a ton of fun. And you're in a division that would be, I mean, my God, like it's already the quarterback division in the NFL just because of the presence of Mahomes and then you add in a young player like Herbert and all that story and now can Sean Payton revitalize Russell Wilson? You get Aaron Rodgers in there, I mean, that division's going to have all the eyes that you want. Last one with Mark Willard. You know, I was looking at the top of your Twitter page, and you have something interesting up here called Broadcaster's Path. Are you doing coaching yeah. for future broadcasters? I, I definitely am, yeah. We've been doing that for a number of years in a few different ways. It started out when I was in L.A., and we did these weekend workshops. Um, and we've sort of brought that up to the Bay Area for a while. And a piece of that is also, um, you know, me working one-on-one with, with students. I also teach uh, communications and broadcasting at two different universities, one here in the Bay Area and one remotely, which is my alma mater in Cal Poly. So, uh, indeed, I do. You know, our business, okay. uh, it's plenty of future, no matter what anybody says. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to potentially put you in a pickle here. I want if if I was teaching a class, um, I'm I might in terms of philosophy and approach for broadcasters, I might use one of your old partners, Tony Bruno, as a cautionary tale. Am I off on that? Oh God! I know, yeah, I know, I, mean, I know. You're exactly. That should be the name of his of his biography. I, I there are so many aspects of that. I don't mind saying this publicly. He knows this. I. There are so many aspects of Batman I love, and, and, and he taught me all kinds of things. But uh, I, I think Tony has had some, some demons in his life. He'd be the first one to tell you that. And, um, and you know, he, he, he found his way out of some really great jobs that he built. You know, he built some great things, and then, uh, and then for whatever reason, uh, they, you know, he would not stick with them. So... Yeah, I think that's a fair phrase. Okay. Mark, I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. Really good conversation. Thank you so much. Any time for you, buddy. There you go. Mark Willard, 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. Yeah, years ago at Sporting News Radio, he worked with Tony Bruno. And Tony Bruno was one of the original guys who did ESPN Radio National back to the, I'll say late 90s, uh, with Chuck Wilson and – Tony got a little too into being, I think, uh, older guy, frustrated with what was going on now, shaking the fist at the sun. So he looked like – I saw him at the Super Bowl. He's got his own deal, which a lot of people have you know, just gone independent. You don't have to be under the thumb of radio bosses. You don't have to be politically correct. You're not going to get in trouble all the time for you know, saying what you want to say. But uh, he's had an interesting career. And uh, Mark worked with Tony Bruno for a while, so that was that was a good way to close the interview. And I know there's still a lot of Tony Bruno fans out there. All right, we got Lady Rebels basketball coming up in town, along with the uh, Golden Knights at six o'clock. Lady Rebels playing over at uh, the Cox Pavilion at six thirty. I'll be on the uh, call of that game on television in just a little bit. Well, we'll close out strong here at Silver Sevens again. Hockey games coming up. Seventy-seven cent beers, Flamingo and Paradise at Silver Sevens. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. Cofield and company presents... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bagel, bagel.
grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. That was a good conversation with Mark Willard, who does radio in the Bay Area. It used to be in L.A. And the Niners are on the precipice of doing something really special if Purdy or Trey Lance turn out. If not, they're going to look back at this era and go, oh, boy, with all these great players, how did we not win a Super Bowl or Super Bowls? It's funny. I mean, that to me, that's just there's they have a trust in what they're doing and that they don't necessarily need to pay a quarterback 35, 40, 45, 50 million dollars. That's OK. It's a philosophy. And the Niners, for the most part, over the years have been a really good franchise. I don't understand what the Cardinals did this offseason. I think they have a guy who can be fixed and has tons of upside in Kyler Murray. And they get rid of Cliff Kingsbury. That's fine. You make that decision. Sean Payton's available, and they let the Broncos get Sean Payton. Sean Payton would have been the perfect guy, an offensive guru, a guy with equity who I think could have fixed Kyler Murray. Instead, they hired Jonathan Gannon. And it appears to mostly be about money, even though they're saying it's not money. Michael Bidwell, the owner, came out and said, we spent a lot of time you know, on this. The issues around Coach Payton had nothing to do with the money, the compensation we would have been paying him. It was all about the draft compensation to the Saints. In the end, the Broncos did not trade that much in terms of compensation. And when you're higher as Jonathan Gannon, and we'll see how he turns out, and he's a defensive guy, and you passed on Sean Payton because of draft compensation, seriously, track this one, right? I don't want to see it happen to Raiders fans, but track this one. Let's see what the Broncos do the next three years, and let's see what the Cardinals do. And if you just want to you know, look ahead and blame it on Kyler Murray, okay, but I think Kyler would have been perfect with Sean Payton. And for the owner to come out and kind of puff out his chest like, hey, you know, we, I mean, we understand coaching. We're not going to pay that much to get a coach in terms of compensation. All right, brother, you dug your grave. You can lay in it now because I, I think it's going to be a pretty deep one. I, I think they screwed up big time. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, earlier in the hour, actually it was last hour, we were talking about uh, Elon Musk and his boring company buying about two acres of land right over on the UNLV campus. It's part of the uh, the parking lot, like the extended parking lot across from the Thomas and Mac. They're hoping to have, you know, one of those uh, loop tunnels go to UNLV and uh, build a station there. And eventually the plan calls for 69 different stops, and the hope is it goes downtown, it goes to the airport. What would it take for you as a local to actually use this thing if it had 60 nonstops from downtown to the airport? Would you use it? Uh, yeah, I would. I, I don't know if I would use it regularly. I'm very dependent upon my car, as you know and tweet about often. Um, because, honestly, I, I had, without a car, I had to use the bus in this city, and it's not always uh, that great. This this town yeah. hasn't always been great for that kind of thing. So maybe this would be uh, you know, a solution. So, yeah, I'd give it a go at least. What if I told you it was 6 to $12 a person per trip? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not even me being cheap. I'm just thinking about it. Is that really worth it? Obviously, Uber is going to be more expensive or Lyft. Um, Actually, well, no, it it wouldn't. I mean, depending on the distance. It depends right. on the. It depends on the time. If you got to bring four people down to the strip, um, I guess it's, we're talking about going down to the strip and being on the strip. No, but you I mean, make a good point. If if yeah. you're going from one place to another yourself as an individual, it might be like I've had six dollar Ubers before. It's not right. Well, six bucks six bucks for one person would be fine. But if you have four people in a ride chair, um, is it really going to cost you forty or forty eight dollars to go somewhere in the strip area from one end to the other? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I think their price point is a little bit high, and I think you nailed something at the beginning. We're not L.A. 
at all because we're not that big, but we are kind of LA like, and we have a lot of Californian, uh, you know, California transplants. Where are we too far down the path to now use mm. public transit? I think, we, I think we need to. We need to go there. Really, I think we need it, but I don't know. I don't know that most people would use it because they're so tied to their cars. Yeah, I, I'll just tell you really quick. In two thousand two, I think uh, my earlier years here, I got my car stolen. It was a disaster. It was right around nine eleven, so it was just like the whole thing was just very hard to, to kind of come back from. And I was going to school, and I gotta tell you, I took a job that I could walk to. It was it was not not easy at all. So. If we can get there, maybe it would it would change a lot of things for a lot of people. I would well, think. I, I hope it works out. I hope it goes to the airport. I hope it goes downtown. I hope it even has some offshoots to the east and west side. And if there's 69 stops, it's intriguing. I think they need bigger cars. That's one of the mm-hmm. things. But the fact that UNLV is getting some money here and there's going to be a stop there, that's a good thing. Do it. Uh, go on the bag one more Take time. Take your hand in there, dude. Some recommended reading. This was up on Vice.com, and the headline caught me, caught my eye. <laughs> Story by an Elizabeth McCafferty. Where did all the male body hair go? These days, a proud display of chest hair seems rarer than a fur coat at a PETA protest. You know what? Can we just open the shirt and fluff out the hair? Can we just do that like old 70s style? We can't do it. We got we to wax. We got to shower. It's all oh, lazy. So let the hair flow. Good for you, Elizabeth. You're right. Enough of the shaving.